Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. With a left hook. He hits it! Hey, it's me, Billy V. And this is Billy V's Hits. Our first ever inaugural baptismal podcast here on Renegade Radio. I am Billy V. Bill Vargas, former sports anchor at Fox 29 in Philly for 12 years. Actually, I worked at a number of stations, uh, WOR up in New York, New Jersey, uh, WIBV TV in Buffalo, and also uh, Channel 10 in Philly as well, way back in the day. Um, and started out in radio and have radio roots, did radio for quite a few years. So this is kind of uh, like uh, coming full circle, being back in front of the microphone and talking sports with you and, and hopefully bringing a different perspective and giving you some um, some ideas coming from a different angle that maybe you're not going to get from other sports talk hosts. In fact, you know, throughout my TV career, I think it was a little different from most TV anchors who are, let's face it, usually pretty milk toast and homers who say, you know, whatever the team wants them to say, what the coach wants them to say. And I never understood that. I was always a guy who felt like I'm not there to make the coach of the football team happy or whoever, you know, or whatever other team I might be covering. I'm here for my audience to tell them what's really going on. And that's who my responsibility as a journalist was always to. So I always was a guy who tells it like it is. And that's what I'm going to do on this radio show. I've spent 20, 25 years covering sports and being around players and coaches and getting to pick their brains. But also a lot of it is, um, you know, being willing to to uh, look at things for yourself because, you know, coaches and, and players have a perspective. They're looking at it from a subjective point of view, and you've got to be objective. And I've always been objective and unafraid to tell it like it was. Or as Howard Cosell said, tell it like it is. Um, you know, so when I worked, uh, I've had situations where I would say exactly what I wanted to say and criticize and then have to walk into the locker room and face an angry player the next day or run into the coach. And they might not necessarily be happy with what you said, although I never had a coach say anything one way or the other, but I've had players get a little confrontational. Unfortunately, I'm 6'4", 225 myself, so I'm not too worried uh, about whether they're happy or not. But when I worked in Buffalo, for example, Thurman Thomas, running back for the Bills, and he's a little guy. He's like 5'10", you know, but Thurman um, had a real bad attitude, especially toward the media. Uh, and uh, before I got there, you know, the Bills had been to four straight Super Bowls and they lost all four. And then I got there and they didn't even make the Super Bowl at all. So 
maybe I'm bad luck, but also, you know, I uh, Thurman had had a, a very uh, volatile relationship with the media in Buffalo before I got there because of that fumble that he had in a Super Bowl game that he was always super sensitive about. And um, any little criticism would set him off. And I remember him one time saying to a group of us reporters when we were asking questions like, what do you all know? Half of you fuckers never even played football. So so there was this one occasion where they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, he fumbled right before the half. They're down to like the three-yard line. They hand it to Thurman. He fumbles. The Chiefs recover. They don't score. They come out the second half and Thurman has a great second half, leads the Bills to victory. And after the game, the post-game news conference, and he's up on a podium and I'm down in the audience with all the media asking questions and uh, actually, I was I was standing up fairly close to the podium, but uh, and I was always one of the guys who was asking the most questions. And I said to him, you know, uh, that first half fumble really could have uh, derailed the team, but you came back and had a good second half. Tell me about that. Tell me about the the mentality that it takes to bounce back after uh, a fumble like that. And so he. He answered the question without answering it. Like, he didn't address the fumble at all. He really didn't. He went off on something totally different. So when he finished, I brought him right back to it. I jumped back in. I said, look, um, as far as the fumble, though, tell me about what it takes to recover from that. And he said to me, you know, you keep asking me about that fumble. We're going to have to go out in the hallway and settle this. I was like, whoa. You know, (laughs) so I decided to let it go at the moment. But after the news conference, I go into the locker room and I walk right up to his locker. And I said, Thurman, I said, you know, you're a great player. I think one day you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. You should be. You deserve to be. But if you fumble the ball, I'm going to ask you about it because that's my job. And Thurman said, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I understand, man. No problem, man. We all good. <laughs> well, Thurman, uh, Thurman Thomas nowadays is in the Hall of Fame because he was a Hall of Fame player. I mean, he was one of the best running backs ever at coming out of the backfield and catching passes. And he was a very good runner as well. Um, and he's now in the Hall of Fame. But I, and I think that what happened was the moment I said to him, you belong in the Hall of Fame, you know, his whole mentality changed, his whole demeanor changed. Like, I'm not saying he was afraid of me because now I'm standing right in front of him in front of his locker room, even though I am twice his size. But that wasn't the case. I think it was more that once I said, you belong in the Hall of Fame, he was, it changed his whole attitude. And all of a sudden he was willing to, you know, um, take a much different approach. But for me, my approach doesn't change. I'll tell it like it is. I did that as a sports anchor. That made me different from most of the TV sports anchors. I was not afraid to ask the tough questions. Uh, I had incidents where uh, a guy named Monte Rager of the Eagles got really mad at me because he watched TV the night before and heard me say that their defense played soft as marshmallows. And when I came into the locker room the next day, he was like, don't you ever call us soft. You know, I saw you last night. Don't you ever call us soft. And I said, you saw me last night? That's right. I heard you say that. I said, I'm glad to know you're watching. Thanks for watching. <laughs> that was that, you know. I had lots of players get mad at me in my career for asking tough questions, but that's all right. Or for saying things on the air, but that's okay. Um, that's what we're going to do here. We're going to tell it like it is. Now, here's another thing, and I'm going to tell this like it is, too. Being in Philly now, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, Chip Kelly, the Eagles coach. Is he a racist? <sighs> Listen, 
And that was said by, it was implied. It wasn't stated, but it was sort of implied over the way that's how some people took it when LaShawn McCoy was traded by the Eagles. And here he is, a great running back. You don't trade great running backs, but Chip Kelly traded him. And his uh, statement as to why he thought Chip Kelly had traded him um, said something about, you know, Chip Kelly wanting certain types of players, which people interpreted as saying that Chip Kelly's a racist. And there's been, you know, and then Brandon Boykin, a defensive back, was traded by Chip Kelly, and he said some things, and uh, it, it became an issue all over again. First of all, I don't think there's any reason to say that Chip Kelly is racist. Um, you can't, yes, he traded a black running back. Well, you can't operate in the NFL without black running backs. And let me first of all say this, for people who don't know me, I am African American, okay? So my opinions on racism come from a different place than most sports casters or talk show hosts as well because you see here's the interesting thing most talk radio sports talk radio stations do not hire black hosts certainly the two here in philly don't and that's what's so ironic about this part of what's ironic about this whole thing of chip kelly uh being called a racist is that chip kelly <laughs> there's no reason that i can see to call him racist or think he's racist. He may have certain types of players that he wants. He may want yes men in the locker room. And certainly a lot of black players are not willing to be yes men. But it's not a black white thing. He wants everybody to be a yes man. You know, and he'll cut you if you're not. He'll get rid of you. But I, but apart from the fact that Chip Kelly is not in my view a racist is that so often when we talk about racism, we're always looking in the wrong places. Because racism is real, but we talk about it in look in the wrong places. And then white people who hear black people talking about racism and don't see any racism there say, you know, this they're always crying about racism. Oh, it's all a bunch of, you know, oh, it's all victimization mentality, blah, blah, blah. Because they don't see the real racism that's going on. And oftentimes we are not aware of or don't talk about or articulate about the real racism. Here is where the real racism is or the real problem. With the Philadelphia Eagles. Not Chip Kelly. But look in their front office. There's no black people in their front office. None. Well, they recently hired a personnel guy. But almost every executive in the Eagles front office is white. There are no black people. But moreover, go into their um, public relations department. Media relations. All white. Community relations department all white actually they have one black person not the head of the department though the department heads are all white eagles youth partnership again white department head she just recently left but um all around every department head in the philadelphia eagles organization is white and most of the and, and all of the executives are white and nobody knows that and nobody talks about that can a black person get a job with the Philadelphia Eagles? And then you add to that. The irony is the owner, Jeff Lurie, who has a Ph.D. in social policy from the Heller School at Brandeis University, uh, talks about, well, he quotes Martin Luther King. He quotes Mahatma Gandhi. But his team doesn't hire black people. And we're worrying about Chip Kelly and some multimillion dollar athlete that was traded. Who You know what? LaShawn McCoy is going to be fine. And, you know, whether he's playing for the Buffalo Bills or the Philadelphia Eagles is pretty much irrelevant. He's going to get paid. 
We shouldn't be worrying about him getting traded. We should be worried about can a guy get a job making, you know, seventy-five or hundred thousand dollars or more working for the Philadelphia Eagles front office. But we don't look at that. The NAACP in Philadelphia, several years back, when Michael Vick was first brought in to be the quarterback, and here's a guy who had gotten who had been who'd done time in prison for killing dogs in a dog fighting operation. And rightly so, in my view, I'm a huge animal rights person. How the hell can you electrocute dogs? Or, I mean, it was ridiculous. I'm glad he did time. But yet, when the Philadelphia Eagles said, well, all right, now he's done his time. We're going to give him a second chance and hire him. The NAACP in this town had, and I'm good friends. I mean, I know the, the NAACP head president or the guy who was president at that time. They decide to have a protest rally on behalf of Michael Vick. They go down to an Eagles game because they're afraid that animal rights groups, PETA and others, will be out there protesting against Michael Vick becoming the, the Eagles quarterback. So they want to do a counter protest on his behalf. Now, why the NAACP would d- decide to do that? Do a counter protest for Michael Vick? What was the point? What, I mean, what's the goal of that protest? To keep people from booing Michael Vick? It's Philadelphia! People are going to boo! They're going to boo him if he sucks, which he did most of the time. Had one incredibly great game on a Monday night, and other than that, they actually had a period of about seven games where he was really good, and then after that he sucked. Um... But people are going to boo him if he does badly. They're going to cheer him if he does well. Why the NAACP was out there at all, I have no idea. What was, the, what was the, even the point? The man had just been hired. That means he had a contract. He was getting paid $7 million a year by the Eagles. Why do you need to be protesting on his behalf when there are so many African Americans who cannot get a damn job in Philadelphia? Because corporate America does not hire us, as I've just pointed out with the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, here's another group that does not hire us. Now, white people don't notice these things. We have to call their attention to them. Another group that does not hire us that's completely related to what I'm talking about here. Philadelphia sports talk radio stations. They don't hire black people. The only black people they hire are former Eagles players. That's it. You can't be a kid who goes to Temple University and studies journalism and comes up through the ranks and get a job as a sports talk show host in this town, as in many towns. They don't do it. When when stuff like this comes out, is Chip Kelly a racist? Don't you think that it would make sense to have like an African-American voice talking about it? Even though, in this case, I don't think Chip Kelly is a racist, but nonetheless... You turn to WIP radio or you turn to the fanatic and you heard over and over and over and over and over white sports talk hosts discussing whether Chip Kelly's a racist, whether he's prejudiced against black people. But that's just and, and, and they're entitled to their opinion, but it's all one sided opinion, right? Regardless of whether they think he's racist or not, you're just getting one perspective. So here. So first of all. Whether you listen to my podcast or not, I think it's well past time that black folks stop supporting those radio stations that will not hire us, but want us to be oh, their listeners. And for that matter, no one, black or white, should want to support organizations that are racist. 
WIP has, um, they will hire an African-American if they're a former Eagles player. They don't have any that aren't former Eagles players, period. 97.5 The Fanatic, their competition, has one African-American part-time weekend guy. That's it. I've met another guy who said he works on their station, but I've never heard him because they hired him and stuck him on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. when nobody is listening. So, and I've listened to the stations, both stations, quite a bit. It seemed to me, just listening and keeping track, that about one-third of all of the callers to those two radio stations in Philly are African-American. One-third. That's huge. If African-Americans make up one-third of the audience, that's huge. And yet, they will not hire African-Americans as, as talk show hosts at either one of those stations. So, therefore, black people should not be listening to those stations. Stop listening to WIP. Stop listening to 97.5 The Fanatic. Because if you were to walk in their office and apply for a job, they would not hire you. And I have talked to people who work there. I'm, by the way, this is not a criticism intended. This is this is aimed at management. This is not intended as a criticism of the white talk show hosts on those stations, many of whom are good friends of mine and many of whom are very good at what they do. And I've talked with many of the people who work behind the scenes at those stations. And it's not just that they don't have African-American uh, talk show hosts. They don't hire us as producers. And the thing about not hiring producers is that a lot of times, particularly at the, at the Fanatic, guys start out as a producer taking phone calls, and then uh, the host of the show will put them on the air, you know, and, and kind of play off them a little bit. And people kind of get to know who the producer is and, and, and hear some of them, some of their opinions and hear how they handle themselves on the air. And if they do pretty well with that, then maybe they'll get a little shift once in a while when somebody calls in sick or whatever. They kind of work their way into uh, proving themselves on the air and into the consciousness of the audience. And eventually they become talk show hosts. But if black people never get that first job as a producer and a chance to start out, or if they are a producer for a long time, as was the case um, with a couple of producers who actually did get hired at those stations, but never get a chance to become talk show hosts, then, you know, uh, that's how racism works. So forget about Chip Kelly being racist. Listen to the people who are debating whether Chip Kelly is racist. If you want to talk, and by the way, what we're going to do on this station, on this podcast, is talk mostly what I call testosterone sports. I'm into football. I'm into boxing. I like it when people hit each other. My old man is a big sports fan. My dad, but he loves baseball and golf. Those are his sports. The more genteel sports. Tennis also is his thing. He kind of wonders what happened that his son loves boxing. And then he remarried and had another son, you know, 20 years later, and he loves boxing. <laughs> My dad is like, well, where have I gone wrong? But that's what I'm into, you know. But generally speaking, we're going to talk about those sports. I know in my open, we had some, some baseball hits as well as uh, other kinds of hits, as well as football and boxing. But primarily, we're going to deal with the testosterone sports. Um, and... Uh, we're not going to deal with it from any preconceived point of view, but certainly um, we're going to add a different voice uh, into the mix. And we hope you'll join us uh, on a regular basis with uh, Billy V Sports Hits here on Renegade Radio.
Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. TV, but happy now to be your podcast MC. Bill Vargas, if you want to be formal about it, that's me. And uh, you know what? In 20 years of covering sports on TV and however many more on radio, um, it never ceases to amaze me of how many crazy things happen in the world of sports and sometimes it carry over uh, into just the crazy world that we live in in general. And Certainly, the recent decision in Deflategate is a primary example of this. It never ceases to amaze me how many times people who are supposed to be smart and decision makers and in important positions just completely drop the ball, if you pardon the pun, and just screw up so badly. And that's what's happened in the decision that some judge, this is a federal judge, Richard Berman, handed down in Deflategate, the case of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots purposely sucking the air out of footballs to get an advantage in a playoff game. And the judge overturns the four-game suspension that the NFL had handed down. And part of the reason it got overturned is because the NFL... And the investigator they hired, Ted Wells, made so many stupid procedural errors. But yet, nothing is more stupid than the judge's decision. It's like a comedy of errors here, because the reasons for the judges overturning this ruling are beyond outrageous, beyond ignorant, just incredibly stupid. And let me say this first and foremost. I am not one of those New England Patriot haters. Yeah, I'm located in Philly, and there are a lot of Patriot haters in Philly. I'm sure there are Patriot haters in New York and up and down the East Coast. Um, People don't like the Patriots because they win. And they've had a lot of championships, and Tom Brady is arrogant, and they don't like the owner, Robert Kraft. And my father, who lives in Boston area, in the Boston area, can't stand the Patriots because... Uh, Robert Kraft and is so arrogant and so on and so forth. But this has nothing to do with any of that. I'm not one of those people. In fact, I grew up in Boston um, until I was 14. And I was a Patriots fan. And, you know, younger people may have the impression that, you know, uh, Boston football fans have always had it great and all they ever do is win. But but you know what? Back in the 60s, oh, my God, the Patriots were terrible. And and first of all, some of the games, they were the Boston Patriots. They played in Fenway Park. 
Some of their games weren't even televised. I remember listening to them on the radio. They had a quarterback named Babe Perilli who would always throw an interception at a crucial time, and all they did was lose. So uh, I know better than to think that Boston fans are necessarily all spoiled. Those who are older, like me, you know, ah, you young whippersnappers, you think that the Patriots always win, but I remember when. You know, <laughs> I did... They were bad when I was growing up. So I don't hold anything against them if they're good now and they always win because of Bill Belichick. And and he's another reason why my father and many other people hate the Patriots because he he may very well be the best coach ever. But boy, is he arrogant Uh, and dull and boring. (sighs) Putting all that aside... The reason why I hate this decision overturning Tom Brady's suspension has nothing to do with any uh, hatred for the Patriots. It's just that it's so stupid because, first of all, one of the arguments that the judge made, the judge is actually quoted, turns out, this is the quote, turns out Mr. Brady did better with higher inflated balls than underinflated balls. You might say he got no competitive advantage. Okay. Now, I'm assuming that you know the, the whole background of this story, by the way. Of course, that Tom Brady had, um, you know, in the AFC Championship game, was using balls that were not properly inflated. And uh, the Patriots, you know, won in a landslide in that game. Okay. And then this whole thing comes out that he had, um, you know, that he had a ball boy basically sucking the air out of the balls. Um to get some kind of competitive advantage because under the stupid rule in the NFL, <laughs> the two teams each use different balls. Now, now, right away, and right away, I don't want to go off too much on this tangent, but right away, that in and of itself is a, a ridiculous situation which Tom Brady is responsible for bringing about. So I will have to come back to that point. But first of all this, Turns out Mr. Brady did better with higher inflated balls than underinflated balls. You might say he got no competitive advantage, said Judge Berman. Okay, so now Judge Berman is a football scholar. He's not just a federal judge, you see. He's a football expert to tell us whether or not Tom Brady did better. Now, what constitutes doing better? What statistics did he look at? Did he look at completion percentage? Ah, did he look at yards per attempt? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, he had a 7.21 yards per attempt with the higher inflated balls and the underinflated balls only uh, 7.01. I mean, what, you know, what, like, what is he looking at? Did he take into account yak? Yards after catch? Perhaps Tom Brady was actually completing a higher percentage with the underinflated balls or uh, perhaps Tom Brady was not completing uh, throwing as good a ball with the higher inflated balls but the runners were making the catches and gaining extra yardage to make the statistics look good did he break it down that way and look at yards after catch hmm something tells me he probably didn't something tells me he probably didn't break it down and look at all of the statistical analysis and have a 
uh, a, a football expert, a former quarterback. He didn't have John Gruden sitting there going through the clicker, you know, a former offensive coordinator, you know, who does all this quarterback school on ESPN. Did he sit down with Gruden and go through all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the basics of throwing a football and looking at, you know, uh, how far the balls traveled before they were caught and how well they were thrown and have an analysis it was was Judge Berman sitting there? Yeah, Gru Dog, look at that throw. I mean, come on, he's going to start getting into football matters and dis- discussing whether or not Tom Brady was more effective with the higher inflated balls or the underinflated balls. Give me a break. You talk about overstepping your boundaries. You talk about stepping outside of your area of authority. What well, that is total idiocy. But the other part about it. That is so ignorant, even more ignorant than him deciding he's a football expert, is the fact that the whole argument is flawed because he says Brady got no competitive advantage. Okay, so even if that was true, what you're telling me is it's okay to cheat if it doesn't work. That's so ridiculous. Oh, he tried to cheat by having the... the, the um, air taken out of the balls, but it didn't really work. It didn't really help him anyway, so the heck with it. No punishment. And in fact, they go on to say in in numerous articles on this, that the judge clearly was of the opinion that Brady knew that the balls were underinflated. Stephen Brown of the New York Daily News says on Twitter, quote, But Berman made a point to note that Brady almost certainly knew he was throwing deflated balls. End of quote. So the judge believes that Brady at the very least knew he was throwing deflated balls, even if he didn't initiate that. Although, if it didn't come from the quarterback, let's face it, there's no uh, equipment manager on earth who's going to take it on themselves to deflate the balls and possibly hinder his quarterback He's only going to do it if he believes that it's going to help his own quarterback. But the judge acknowledges that Brady knew the balls were deflated. But he's saying he didn't gain an advantage by it anyway. I mean, isn't that outrageous coming from a federal judge? It's like saying, well, you know, yeah, I robbed the bank, but then the red dye that they slipped in there exploded. So I dropped all the money. So I didn't get the money. So I can't be charged with robbing the bank. On top of that. I mentioned a moment ago how this rule came into effect in the first place where different teams use different balls. I'm going to talk about exactly that and why that is so uh, incriminating against Tom Brady, as well as some other aspects of this crazy case in my next podcast. And also, I want to make sure that this podcast is interactive, that you have a chance to voice your opinion. So if you disagree with me, that's fine. Hit me up on Twitter, at Billy Vargas. If you agree with me, you can hit me up on Twitter, too. I mean, that'll be fine, too. At B-I-L-L-Y-V-A-R-G-U-S. Not A-S, like Fernando Vargas, the famous boxer, or... uh, Jason Vargas, the Major League Baseball pitcher, or even the Playboy artist Vargas. They're AS. I'm US. At Billy Vargas. Let me know what you think, and I will definitely respond to you in my pods 
here on Renegade Talk Radio. Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that TV and that one is hit hard. Oh, and he is hit hard. Hits him with a left hook. He hits it! Hey, it's me, Billy V, and welcome to Billy V's Sports Hits. And, uh, I promise we're gonna talk X's and O's and the fun and games of sports soon. In my next podcast, we're going to just break down uh, the NFL and the teams and make some predictions about who's going to do what this year, and that's going to be fun. But right now, we got to talk more about this crazy decision by a federal judge to overturn Tom Brady's four-game Suspension for deflating footballs, commonly known as deflate gate. And as I said in my previous podcast, I am not a Tom Brady hater or Patriots hater. In fact, Tom Brady is not quite the greatest quarterback of all time just yet in my book. I still got Joe Montana as the greatest ever, but Tom Brady's right there knocking on the door. By the time he retires, he may have established himself as the greatest quarterback that's ever played the game. If he wins another Super Bowl, probably so. But there will always be that asterisk in the minds of some because there's just been too many incidents where, you know, oh, they videotaped opponents' practices and there's just been too many things where it seemed like the Patriots organization was willing to cheat in order to win. And so this whole deflate gate thing I talked about how insane it is that the judge who overturned the four-game suspension that the NFL had handed down to Tom Brady for being involved in purposely taking air out of footballs to help him in a playoff game, which, of course, Brady denies. But first of all, that the judge's incredibly stupid logic was that he actually played better with uh, the fully inflated balls and with the underinflated balls, as if the judge is some sort of football expert to determine that. But secondly, and more importantly, it's like saying, you know, he didn't commit a crime because it didn't succeed. It doesn't matter that he attempted a crime. It didn't succeed, so there shouldn't be a punishment, which is ridiculous. But secondly, I mentioned um, in that podcast that uh, the whole business of each team using separate footballs only adds to this scandal. This couldn't happen if the NFL didn't have a ridiculous rule of both teams each using separate footballs. And where did this crazy rule come from? Because obviously, you know, if an underinflated ball helps a quarterback, 
then if if somebody was to underinflate the balls and take the uh, or take air out of the balls more accurately, it would help. Conceivably, it would help one quarterback as much as the other. So neither team would gain an advantage. So nobody would do it. So why in the world would they have two different balls or sets of balls that they use for two different teams? Where where did that come from? My whole life growing up, everybody used the same ball. It's only in the last few years that the NFL agreed to the absolutely ridiculous scenario of having each team use their own ball. And why did that? Where did that come from? It came from two quarterbacks going to the league and saying, we want to have separate balls for each team. Those two quarterbacks were Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, the two gods of the NFL. Now, I don't want to impugn Peyton Manning because as far as I know, I have no, uh, no knowledge of him being involved in anything um, wrong, but... What possible motivation could any quarterback have for going to the league and saying, we want to use separate balls for each team, other than they want to be able to manipulate the balls. They want to be able to do something to the balls to give themselves an advantage. What other reason could they possibly have for petitioning the league to have each team use separate balls? So now, we need to let Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and everybody else use separate balls from their opponents, and lo and behold, Tom Brady goes out and gets involved in a situation where the balls were somehow underinflated. Well, the NFL asked for it by agreeing to such a non-ridiculous request that could clearly only have, as far as I can see, one possible motivation, and that is to be able to manipulate the balls to help you when you're throwing without helping the opposing quarterback. What other reason could there be? And now they have this situation. And it just seems to me to point to um, more guilt for Tom Brady. And then there's another thing here that absolutely points to uh, why Tom Brady should have been suspended and why that suspension should have been upheld. The whole thing with his cell phone. So the, um, the investigator for the NFL, Ted Wells, requested Tom Brady's cell phone. Because the guy who was involved in, uh, the equipment guy who was involved in this whole thing, this whole scandal, wrote one text after another after another to another guy saying that Tom Brady was on him, that Tom Brady was dogging him, that Tom Brady was all over his ass about the balls. And those text messages were, were very clear about what was going on, that Tom Brady was pressuring this guy to... Um, sneak around and take the air out of the balls and um, those balls have to be taken to uh, the officials for the game and checked and weighed and then his his thing I believe was going to be to go in sneak into the officials locker room and take the balls after they'd been checked and let some of the air out and he had many text messages to another Patriots employee in which he talked about this, and they had that. Somehow, for some reason, this judge uh, doesn't seem to have considered that as evidence at all. But anyway, when the NFL investigator was looking into this, he said, let me see Tom Brady's cell phone, because there's probably going to be messages on there to this equipment guy telling him 
to deflate the ball. Well, it just so happens that Tom Brady, on the day that he was supposed to meet with the investigator, destroyed his cell phone. Isn't that interesting? So now the judge rules, well, NFL, you don't have any evidence against Tom Brady because you don't have him saying anything on his cell phone. You don't have any text messages. Uh, you don't have any smoking gun. Well, of course they don't. He destroyed the damn phone, you idiot. You stupid idiot, Judge Berman. He destroyed the phone. Why do you think he destroyed the phone on the very day that he was supposed to meet with investigators? And then you sit here and say, oh, he destroyed Tom Brady, destroyed his cell phone. And therefore, there's no evidence against him. Why would he have destroyed his cell phone except for the fact that it contained all kind of incriminating evidence? Well, I'll tell you why. According to Tom Brady, let me see if I could find this quote from Tom Brady explaining the destruction of his cell phone. Tom Brady says, I replaced my broken Samsung phone with a new iPhone 6 after after my attorneys made it clear to the NFL that my actual phone device would not be subjected to investigation under any circumstances. Now let me, let's back up here for a minute and look at this statement. I replaced my broken Samsung phone after my attorneys made it clear to the NFL. Now when the sentence started, I thought he was going to say that the NFL had promised him that they didn't need to see the phone and then he went ahead and replaced it. But that's not what he says. He says, my attorneys made it clear to the NFL that my device would not be subjected to investigation under any circumstances. Oh, in other words, your attorneys said, we're not turning over this cell phone for you to use as evidence. And then you went out and destroyed it. Well, that's that's just, uh, you know, that's just adding to the situation. You're refusing to let them see it and then you destroy it. The fact that you refuse to let them see it doesn't give you any right to destroy it. It just means you're being non-cooperative and you're making sure that your lack of cooperation is cemented by the fact that you got rid of the evidence. You got rid of it. You said, I'm not going to show it to you and then I'll break it before I'll show it to you. I'll get rid of it before I show it to you. And that's interesting, too, because he says, I replaced my broken phone with a new phone. Yeah, but yeah, wow. Why couldn't the NFL get a hold of that broken phone, have it fixed, and look at the texts? He must have really destroyed it. He must have really gotten rid of it. It must be sitting at the bottom of a dumpster somewhere or something because, because simply replacing a broken phone would not have prevented them from getting uh, access to messages on that phone. But what's really, but even more ridiculous is the fact that it was his attorneys who told the NFL, we're not giving you the phone. And now he's using that as some kind of excuse for getting rid of the phone. When, in fact, one doesn't um, justify the other. The two go hand in hand as evidence of his absolute total non-cooperation because he had something, clearly had something to hide. Ridiculous. And he's not going to get a four-game suspension? That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the NFL will appeal and hopefully they'll find a judge with half a brain. Not this Judge Richard Berman, who's an idiot, who thinks that he knows football so well 
when in actuality, he doesn't know football, he doesn't know law, and he doesn't know common sense. That'll do it for me, Billy V, for now. Bill Vargas with Billy V's Sports Hits on Renegade Talk Radio next time. We're going to uh, really break it down for you, the upcoming NFL season, and make some predictions on what you can look forward to and what you can expect. And again, you know, we're going to keep it real. We're not going to just give you that, uh, you know, tell you what you want to hear stuff. We're going to break it down. All right. And I want to hear your feedback as well. So come after me, hit me up, talk to me on Twitter at Billy Vargas, B-I-L-L-Y-V-A-R-G-U-S, at Billy Vargas, and I will respond to you in this podcast, Billy V's Hits on Renegade Talk Radio.